Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. The question really is more about how do you provide value with your passion? Because when I provide value with my passion, then the money will follow. And the reality is, is that if we understand that no matter the choices we make as a business owner, as an individual, whether they're business choices in a context or life choices or hobby choices, they're all life choices. But profit, I don't think, is the primary purpose of business. Profit is the byproduct of business and making sure that we're serving and providing value to others. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Mel Abraham. He is the number one international best-selling author of The Entrepreneur's Solution and the founder of Thoughtpreneur Academy. Okay, look, Mel has a resume that goes on and on and on. He's worked with the best companies. He's a CPA. He is besties with uh, people like Ariana Huffington, Shalene Johnson, Brendan Bouchard, Tony Robbins. I mean, he's got all the cred. But let me tell you, we had a great conversation about life, about what it's like when you get money, all of the things you think it's going to be. And then you look at it and you go, well, that wasn't all it was cracked up to be. So there are some very strategic takeaways for you about living life and very broad stroke, great principles that are going to help you live a life better. So I'm going to let Mel take it away from here. Mel, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. You know what, man? I am super stoked that you're here because you are a mutual friend um, of uh, my, yours and uh, mine, Chris Harders. And I heard you speak at his mastermind. And right after I heard you, I was like, I got to get this guy in the show. So I was at Chris's house the other day and he's like, You've have you had Mel on the show? I'm like, no, I need to. So we Dude, made that it was happen. a while ago. You waited a while. <laughs> I waited too long. Absolutely too long. So I think what we'll do is we're gonna jump right into it if that's cool with you. Yeah. And I think a good jumping off point would be to sort of walk things back a bit to growing up in uh, Chatsworth, California. You had 
You had that entrepreneurial bug from really early on. Can you tell me where that spark came from for you to do, you know, things like magic shows at 11 years old at birthday parties to make a little extra dough? Yeah, well, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it was what had happened actually was I was sitting watching an old, old time movie with Tony Curtis and Janet Lee about Harry Houdini. And, and I was fascinated with, with this guy that could, no chains could hold and, and the way he kind of, um, built his career in showmanship. I mean, he was an entrepreneur at, at, at heart, but, uh, so I started to study magic and there was a magic shop up the road. And I would literally back then it was called, uh, the RTD. I would take the bus every day during the summer vacations to, and just hang out at the magic shop. And, and as I was, I was sitting there, I was hearing all these, these guys talking about how they were, uh, performing and they were getting paid. And I'm kind of going, well, wait a second. Now I'm 11 years old at the time. You guys get paid to do magic. That would be really cool. <laughs> and so, right. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the first exposure to it. And so they started to talk to me about how I could do it, what I could do. And I literally put together a magic act. My mom, we, I, we were going to do it. I was going to do them for birthday parties and thought, well, you know, kids' birthday parties, they need a clown at the birthday parties. And little did I know that kids are scared of clowns. <laughs> and, um, and so she, my mom made me the clown outfit. I would dress up as a clown and I would literally go and do a half hour magic show, do animal balloons for the kids. And back then, I mean, we're talking, I was 11, so it was 1972. I was getting paid 50 bucks for a half hour show. That wasn't bad. Not at 11 years old. I think even by today's standards, an 11 year old would be happy with that. Yeah. So if we fast forward just a bit, you stepped into the world of finance and you got a job at uh, KPMG, which is one of the big four accounting firms. And then you, I believe, went on to open your own firm. What was it, just as sort of a high level question, what was it about the numbers that you were most interested in? I got intrigued with the whole idea of business and entrepreneurship. I, I, I realized that entrepreneurship was the door to people's dreams. It was, it was the opportunity for either for the customers to, to live their dreams through the products and services that they were getting and using, or the entrepreneur, him or herself, to be able to live their dreams by delivering it. And, uh, so I was fascinated with business itself, not as much the numbers of business. And, and I, went to the, I went to that firm as an auditor and, and actually hated audit. And it was at, at a time where they were just starting to do the um, bringing computers at the time. And I knew how to use, use the computer. And the merger and acquisition group came to me and said, uh, hey, can you do a spreadsheet for us on, on a merger? And that's how I got introduced into the finance realm. And that's when I started to really look at it and go, oh, doing deals? This is cool. And building businesses, that's really cool. And that's, so that's really you know, where, where that kind of spark kind of came from. Well, this is interesting because you, know, you would think that if somebody was at you know, one of the big four accounting and doing auditing and you know, um, has a finance background, that there would be a you know, sort of a slant or a bend on numbers. But in your case, you... I think, saw, saw sort of the numbers as a means to an end to 
ignite the entrepreneurial soul from a very different perspective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's actually the reason I was there was also the re- the reason I left because ultimately I realized I wasn't going to fulfill what it was I wanted to do at the at KPMG. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get into that because I think a lot of people um, who are listening to the show, you know, maybe they're on the treadmill right now and they're saying like, man, I don't, I just, I just don't love what I'm doing, but I'm doing it and I got a degree and how long am I going to do this? And, but you know, you, you got these golden handcuffs, right? It's very difficult to get out of. And I know that, you know, you sort of help people through the work that you do and doing that. So, you know, maybe you can kind of just give me while we're here, just some thoughts on, you know, sort of being in a career that, you know, you don't love and you want to get out of, but you're, you feel stuck. It's, it's something I think that is really, really prevalent today. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, just follow your passion and the money will follow. And, and, and I, I actually disagree with that. It's you know, because look, I love chocolate <laughs> and, uh, and the only thing that's going to follow if I keep eating chocolate is a waistline. And, and so the question really is more about how do you provide value with your passion? Because when I provide value with my passion, then the money will follow. Mm. The challenge is if I'm in a job that I'm not passionate about, that's a challenge. The thing is that am I not passionate about the task I'm doing in the moment or is it the job as a whole? Because we, we all, no matter what it is we do, I love what I do. I love the things I do. But there are some things that, as part of what I do that, that I kind of go, eh, I could do without that. Um, but that doesn't mean I leave it. So you just said a couple of things that I want to highlight because as I'm listening, I'm putting myself in my shoes as well as the audience's shoes. And you know, by trade, I was a uh, chiropractor for 25 years uh, in Atlanta. And the last of those five, if one more person told me that their neck or back hurts, I was going to put a pistol to my head. I couldn't take it anymore. I was going out of my head. And it took me a good five years, I'm going to say, to get the balls to be able to leave. But you just unlocked something that I really want to highlight because I'm just out of this. I just retired last year, moved from Atlanta to L.A., you know, to live at the beach and sort of like be around friends like, you know, Chris, Chris and Lori Harder, et cetera. And one of the things that you said that I think is so powerful is, yes, if you lose your passion, then, you know, get the nerve and leave without a doubt if you're, if you're clear about that. But the other thing that was so important is whatever you do decide to go into, make sure that you have a passion for it and are providing value for somebody else, not just for yourself. And I think it's easy to provide value just for yourself and go like, you know, I want to be out of this and I really want to be golfing or really want to be, you know, doing whatever. But if that other piece, if you're looking to make an income, if that other piece where you're providing value for somebody else isn't present, I think you're going to be, you're going to be in trouble. Does that make sense? Yeah, huge. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, to me, it's it's universal. I mean, we live in a value exchange economy. If if the value that I am going to provide isn't perceived as higher than the value they're going to give up, they're never going to do the deal with me. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, a lot of people have had moments in their life uh, that has caused them to pivot 
to make a major change like we're talking about. And for you, we're going to wind the clock back again. In the mid-90s, your partnership broke up. You, you found yourself as a single dad. You had to deal with a mortgage. What did that time teach you looking back that you sort of wish you knew? Um, God, there's so, it's interesting. The, uh, the, that whole thing that Steve Jobs said at at the graduation ceremony about following the the dots backwards. I mean, I had no idea the magnitude of the lessons that came about from that time. I mean, I was, I was literally left with, with no work, uh, no clients, no cash flow. I was in debt. I just had, um, got custody of my son. He was five and a half, six years old. And I was struggling. I was looking at it going, how, you know, how do I do this? What do I do? I, you know, I, and most entrepreneurs, I did what most entrepreneurs do. I, I put my head down, I dug my heels and I started doing the work to really build, build what I wanted to build. And, and then I, the, the wheels kind of came off when Jeremy one day came running in, he was six, six and a half at the time. And Came running in, excited like a kid on his birthday, saying, "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy, I, I drew a picture of you at school today." And and so I knelt down, and he hands me this picture, and it's a picture, it's a stick figure picture of me, um, standing in front of two computer screens and uh, with a phone at each ear and one on the desk. Mm. And uh, I realized that that I was I was I was screwing it up. I mean, the greatest gift that I was given to be a dad to to, to take care of this, this child, I was, I was messing it up. And, and that struggle of, is it possible for the dream to be an entrepreneur to coexist with the gift of being a father? And I mean, the short answer is yes, but I had to figure out how do I continue to build this? You've once said that it isn't about business for business sake, but business for life's sake. Can you give me a little bit more color on that? Yeah, the, this and this has happened about the same time is, is my realization that when we talk about, and it goes back to this whole work-life balance thing, is that if we live eight hours in the bucket with our feet in the bucket called work, and then we go home and we're going to live eight, 10 hours in the bucket called uh, personal life, and then we're going to go and spend you know, three hours or an hour in a bucket called hobbies. What we do is we start to dissect our personality, dissect our life in into ways that that feel incongruent or feel uh, restrictive or feel like it's splitting us. And and the reality is is that if we understand that no matter the choices we make as a business owner, as an individual, whether they're business choices in a context or life choices or hobby choices, they're all life choices. And they're all life choices because they affect lives. They affect our life. They affect our employees' lives. They affect our customers' lives. They affect our relationships. They affect our children. They affect our significant others. And so I look at it and say, we don't do business. Profit, and and this is blasphemy for an accountant to say, but profit, I don't think, is the primary purpose of business profit is the byproduct of business and making sure that we're serving and providing value to others. And so, so if we look at it through that lens, business isn't about business sake. Business is about life. Makes perfect sense. Um, speaking of business, let's, let's dive in a little bit to some areas of expertise and see if we can help some people. 
You've also said it's not about what you know. It's about being known for what you know. Can you explain that in the context of somebody who's sort of starting out and you know, wants to take their area of expertise into the world, but uh, they don't really understand how to do that? Yeah, this is, this is a great. Thanks for bringing this up. Uh, when you talk about, especially in, in the expert space or the wisdom space or thought leaders, whether you're coaches, uh, speakers, authors, trainers, um, consultants, uh, service providers, the, the thing is that what happens is, especially in this internet marketing world where people all have websites and they're doing Facebook ads and they're, and they got YouTube and they're doing all, how do you stand out? I mean, if I'm a leadership person talking about corporate leadership and there's a hundred other people talking about corporate leadership, how do you stand out? And, and, and the mistake, I think a lot of people in what I, we call the influence or a thought leader space makes is that we think that marketing is the key to our success. And the reality is marketing is not the key to our success. The key to our success is positioning. And, and what do I mean by that? Is that there's a lot of people that know stuff, yeah, whether it's leadership, whether it's taxes, whether it's medical or health or wellness or any of that stuff. There's a lot of people that know stuff. Heck, you can know stuff because all we got to do is go to Google and read it. And we know stuff that may make us an expert, but it doesn't make us a thought leader. The difference between a thought leader and an expert is that the thought leader is known for the stuff they know. In other words, when the topic comes up, their name rises to the top. That's positioning. When, when we talk about positioning in this space, the idea is not to be on the short list of people, but to be the only one on the list of people to be used. Got it. Got it. So you, you've learned that there are multiple verticals that you can go into. Like you could, you can get paid to speak, paid to write, paid to train. So how would you advise somebody listening to this to begin to take, you know, action on those areas and start making money? Like where do, like, where do they begin? Give you an example. Um, June first, uh, a year. It'll be two years this year. My mom went into the uh, into the hospital. She had uh, kidney failure. We didn't know if she was going to make it. She's she's great now. She's doing fine. She's on dialysis. But but there was 21 days while she was in the hospital where it was all touch and go. And I and my wife literally spent 21 days with her in the hospital every day, fighting for her, keeping her going, uh, advocating for, for what she needed. But what I was able to do is because I created what I call a portfolio career, that I'm a messenger and I can deliver it through multiple channels, I just had to change where the income was coming from. Since I was spending 21 days in, in the hospital, I wasn't going to travel and speak. So the speaking income stream would shut down for the 21 days but that didn't mean that I couldn't be selling courses on the same stuff that I would be speaking on and still get paid or selling books or doing other, other programs. So what we really need to do is first figure out what is our core message? What is our unique, distinct uh, knowledge and wisdom? We need to package it into a unique methodology so we can deliver it in, in that way and then look at the different channels in which we can deliver it 
which become income streams. That makes sense. It does. It does. I'm just sort of thinking about, you know, what are some of the blocks that people have when they're trying to figure it out? Because they're like, well, it's, you know, I talk about entrepreneurship. I talk about goal setting, but I, but I also talk about this and I also talk about that. Does it need to be confined into one succinct, you know, elevator pitch, you know, cocktail party opening line kind of thing? Or can your message be broader? Now here, there, there's an overarching word. So let's just talk about, like, if I talk about what my overarching premise of everything I do is, down to one word, it's possibility. Mm. But I'm not going out to the world saying, hey, let me speak to you on possibility because no one's hiring possibility speakers. <laughs> okay. Yep. But that's what's driving the things that I do is I want to, I want people to dust off their dreams and bring possibility back in their lives. I think. I think possibility is a birthright. The opportunity to, to have what we want is a birthright. And so under that umbrella called possibility is where then I start to create the messaging. And so they might have a theme or a word that says everything I do is for the underdog or for, uh, you know, overcoming adversity. Great. So now let's, let's carve that up and let's figure out a core message to a specific audience and get that message and uh, market match. And let's have a conversation at that. I like that. I I feel like, didn't uh, Brandon Bouchard write something on this like millionaire messenger or something? He wrote millionaire messenger. Yeah. He wrote that. I don't know if he had that in there. Okay. Interesting. Um, I love it. All right, let's yeah. start talking about some of the tools that you use. For example, I know that you you are a big fan of the Kajabi platform. Why did that make such a big impact on your business? In a, in a nutshell, it gave me my time back. It allowed me to leverage my knowledge, my wisdom. I came from the world of, of hey, let's swap hours for dollars. And whoever came up with that business model should be burned at the stake. Uh, so... So this whole idea of, gosh, I can leverage my time. I can take my, my knowledge, my wisdom, my expertise, and now multiply it and put it out there to the world and leverage it was huge. And so a platform like Kajabi allowed me the opportunity to capture my knowledge and my thought leadership and then deliver it to those that, that could benefit from it. And so... It was, it was huge. It gave me time back with Jeremy. It gave me time back with my, my wife. It gave me the time and the ability to do the things that I want to do. I love it. Now, you, from there, um, or maybe at the same time, you created something called the Business Breakthrough Academy. What is that? Business Breakthrough Academy is one of my original courses that I uh, first did about entrepreneurship. And it's really about business and how do you create and run business based upon many of the principles in my book. Uh, so building your business model, building your, your vision, but doing it in a way that you don't create a business that sucks the life out. Which people can easily do because it become, they, bec- it, it, you know, they become consumed with it. You know, you've said, eat dinner early, go take a walk on the beach. And I know that one of the things you do to clear your head is you walk down the beach and you, you know, you sort of celebrate uh, the day's uh, progress and, 
you know, you think about the to-dos that you want to do for the next day and you sort of have a evening routine. Can you sort of unpack that for me and tell me there's a lot, you know, a lot of people talk about the morning routine, but you have a sort of unique evening routine. Not everybody's going to have a beach. That's one of the reasons why I moved to Southern California so I can get one of those. <laughs> but maybe you can sort of like uh, unpack how, how you do that. So for me, um, I'm gonna, first, I'm gonna, I, I put in a long day in the sense that um, I'm up early. You know? So like, uh, I'm up early. In, in, it, probably I'll go from 4, 4.30 in the morning till, till 9 or 10 at night. But it's not always go, 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 go. And I take regular breaks during the day, but my evening routine is pretty similar, um, pretty consistent. So I will right around sunset, uh, walk down to the water, get in the water for probably 15, 20 minutes. I'm not in there as, as long right now because the water's cold right now. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I'll get in there for, for a good 15, 20, 25 minutes and, and just there's something exhilarating about it. And then I'll, I'll come out of the water and, and uh, sit up on the rocks and meditate for another 20 minutes. And, you know, I usually have my earbuds in and, and uh, music and stuff in there. So I, none of the surrounding sounds or anything are in the sun setting. And I get a chance to reflect. I get a chance to breathe. I get a chance to relax. I get a chance to appreciate the things that are going on in life and, and, uh, and, and release some of the challenges that maybe were going on. And then I, I walk my way back up. Usually just that's at the time that, you know, my wife is usually uh, making dinner and then we'll sit down and have a nice evening together and just relax. And then uh, just before I go to sleep, I do two things. I'll, I'll look at my, my next day, adjust things that I may need to adjust, make sure I know when I'm going to get up and what's, you know, what's the priorities for that day. And then I actually uh, get into a infrared uh, blanket for about uh, 40 minutes and just, again, do another meditation and relaxation. A lot of times it's falling asleep in the, <laughs> the blanket for 40 minutes. And then I'll hit the hay. Okay. So a couple of questions. Are you in LA or San Diego? I'm actually in Laguna. You're Beach. in Laguna. Oh, it's gorgeous. Okay, so you're in Laguna. When you get into the water, are you in a wetsuit? I know the water's cold this time of year, but are you, are you in a wetsuit? I'm usually just in a top, wetsuit top. A wetsuit top. Okay, in 15, 20, 25 minutes, and then you come out, dry off a little bit, hit the rocks and do a meditation. When you got your earbuds in, are you listening to a specific meditation, you know, like using an app, like the Calm app or the Headspace app, or what do you do? It depends. So I started to do a lot more of this uh, because... In June of last year, I was uh, diagnosed with bladder, uh, bladder cancer with a tumor. Uh, and so what I was doing is that during that time was a specific meditation and uh, visualization associated with cancer and healing. The other times, it's just a, uh, it's a, a, a music track that I like. It's, a, it's the same music track that you know, Brendan Richard uses when he does his release meditation uh, called uh, the Moses code. Uh, it's something that um, uh, Wayne Dyer used. And so those are the two primary things that I'll do. And have you, 
have you fallen into at all Joe Dispenza's work? Yes. Oh, I, that was the other one. Forgot. Joe Dispenza's. Yes, yes, yes. Good stuff. And do you do his morning uh, meditation ever? I have not done the morning. Yeah, give it a shot. No. I've been doing it for uh, probably, I would say, you know, probably four or five days a week for the better part of two years. It's kind of freaky how it works. It's really powerful, but it does take a long time. It's almost a half hour. Uh, but it's a really okay, good one. Cool. And the evening one, I love, but I, like you, I fall asleep when I, when I do it. <laughs> um, we're, we're about three years apart. I'm 53. What? Uh, there you go. Do you take, this is going to be a really old man question, so forgive it, but do you take naps? Not usually. Mm, okay. I don't either, but the more I listen to podcasts and read on sleep studies, the more I hear that the the power of the 15, 20 minutes that you take, if you can do it and you don't come out of it groggy, the health benefits are kind of like off the charts. Um, you know, this whole country's that, you know, sort of do that. I just, I just got back from a couple of months in, uh, in Italy and the place shuts down at lunchtime. It's yeah. like everybody goes home to sleep. We just it's, came it's, back uh, from Madrid. It was, it was similar. Same thing. You know, it's, um, but I, the, the only reason I don't take naps is just what you said is I, I don't feel like I come out of it very, very well. If I, yeah, if well, the recommendation minutes, is if like, you don't, yeah, if you don't, then you shouldn't do it. Yeah. It has to do with like, it's, it's kind of like somehow you're catching up on REM or something like that. I can, I started doing it um, for a week or two and I can come out of it in 15, 20 minutes. And I noticed that I'm much more powerful in the evening than I was. You know how you feel like, you know, five, six, seven o'clock, you're starting to grind. Yeah. I, I didn't have that. I, I noticed that I had a bunch more energy, but you know, then the other thing starts to happen, which you start going to bed later. Yeah. <laughs> so now you, got a, now you got a new problem. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to move into more of the fulfillment um, random question part of the show. Cool. What is an unusual or absurd thing that you love? Gosh, yeah, it's not unusual, but I, I love sitting and watching the, the, the sunsets. And uh, I'll, the other thing that I guess it's unusual, I want... I'll, crazy fascination not with not from a pyro standpoint uh but watching the the flames of a fire it's hypnotic mm. to just see them and how they dance that is really interesting i love the sound of the flames in wow. fact yeah there's an app you'd love this there's an app called rain rain it just rained twice, rain, rain. Uh -huh. And it has sounds of rain all over the world. There's like hundreds of them. Like you can listen to, you know, the, you know, the sound in the rainforest in Kenya on Thursday at three no o'clock. Yeah, it's like nuts. But what it also has is fire sounds. So sometimes when I'm journaling, um, I'll just listen to, it'll have all kinds of them. They'll, I think there's even one, it's like crackling bonfire on Laguna Beach. It's something like that. So you would love that. That's really, really interesting. That's, that's awesome. Are there any positions or opinions in the last few years, or it could be way back, it doesn't have to be in the last few years, that you've changed substantially where you've shifted your position, you've completely changed your mind, and you were like, you know, I used to think this way, but ah, just as I'm getting older, I just don't think that way about this anymore. Yeah, I think, I think there is. I mean, we can call it a position, but it's certainly the way I look at my life today. Yeah, I mentioned that I was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, we literally six months to the day 
were able to beat it out of me, basically. I mean, it, was a, it turned out to be a seven and a half centimeter tumor. But mm-hmm. one of the biggest lessons that came out of this uh, for me, and, and I'm still in it, I'm, you know, there's, there's a lot still to go. Uh, and I feel great and I feel strong, but is, uh, is I don't have the guilt of saying no anymore. And, and what I mean by that is this, is I realized, I always realized that, that uh, we had a finite time here, that we've been given a set amount of slices of life. But I, I never realized how finite it could be until they, they, they gave me the diagnosis. And I go, oh, crap, wait a second, that can't be. And so I realized that we all have a stack of slices of life we get to use. And when we decide to say yes, like you and I say yes to have this conversation, you're giving up a slice of your life. I'm giving up a slice of my life. Your audience is giving up a slice of their life. And they, none of us will ever get that slice back. And so it, it becomes important for all of us to make that transaction valuable and meaningful. And so when I look at it and I say, when someone asks me to do something, I'm typically the first one that says, hey, let me help, let me help, let me help. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be helpful, but I'm going to be a little more discerning about, wait a second. Is this the best use of this slice of life moving forward? Mm, I love that. Okay, what's one goal that you thought, if I could just hit this goal, everything is going to be better. And then you got it. And you were like, that did not do what I thought it was going to (laughs) do. How many of these do you want? (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think... I think the the reality was that just say that making my first million dollars first, I think the journey to it wasn't what I thought the result of it wasn't what I thought the, and and some of it's positive. Some of it is, 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 is not so positive, but I think that, that we, we get, I got so enamored with, I make a million first off million dollars actually isn't a lot of money, but if I make a million, everything's going to be cool. Everything's going to be fine. And, and, and I think in my, in my case, I, I thought, you know, sometimes you think that the, the money is going to make you more attractive, better, you know, whatever it was going to do to change your life. But the fact is you're still you standing there and you just happen to have an extra comma in your bank account and, and that's it. And, and I think that that realization for me brought me to the point of going, oh, well, it's just a scorecard. It doesn't mean anything unless I do good things with it. And so now the real issue is not about the wealth I have, but the richness I have in my life. Mm, I love that. That was really good. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Uh, I love the water and I love the islands. Uh, so I would, I would, I'd love to go to like St. Martin and and spend it there but because i'd want my my wife with me and she's not she 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 doesn't want to be on an island necessarily we would probably end up and i would be just as happy here in tuscany italy something like that 
Well, that's wonderful. I just got back um, from two months in Tuscany, uh, wow. living there. So I can uh, I can help you out with that when the uh, when the time is right for you. You know, one of the things um, that was rolling around in my head when you answered the earlier question about having the extra, you know, comma in your bank account, and you thought it was going to make you prettier, et cetera. I interviewed uh, Phil Rosenthal, who was the creator of Everybody Loves Raymonds, and we had a uh, we had a great conversation. And, you know, his net worth now is in the hundreds of millions. And we were talking about him and, you know, Ray Romano. And well, actually, I asked him about, um, you know, what does it feel like to go from a kid, you know, with nothing in New York and an apartment, you know, living with your parents to hundreds of millions living in Bel Air. And he said, the best way I can answer it is what Ray Romano told me. He said, you know, when I got... (laughs) When I got into the back of a taxi in Manhattan, I always thought my cab driver thought I was an asshole. Now I get in the back of a limo and I think my limo driver thinks I'm an asshole. <laughs> 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 so I love, I love that. I don't know if you're a foodie or not, but if you can only go to one restaurant anywhere in the world, any place, could be local, could be anywhere you want, where would your last meal be? Wow. Um, I've been on a strict diet since this whole thing has happened. So, um, yeah. for me, so, uh, Stephanie and I were, were in, in Paris, uh, a number of years back and we took a, a private yacht down the river at night in Paris and the chef on this yacht looks like he looked like the like the like a disheveled professor, but the food was probably the best meal that I've ever had. And I would say, put me back on that boat, put me back in Paris, put me back with my wife. It's my last meal. Let's cruise down the Seine River. Let's look at the Eiffel Tower, and let's let's have some nice wine and, and dinner there. Mm, I love that. All right. La- actually, I have two questions yeah. for you. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, it could be on any topic you want, anything you have a passion for, what would it be? It's odd, but it would be around safety and awareness. And, and what I mean by that is, is that at one point, I had a martial arts studio for 11 years. I spent a lot of time doing a uh, charitable don- uh, uh, foundation for uh, abuse and violence against uh, women and children. And I would, I would go and do a talk about of being aware to try and avoid the violence. You know, we were the mistake we made at the martial arts studio was trying to teach self defense, and and we had I had one of my one of my black belts was an amazing, amazing fighter. Um, she was great. She was a miss. She was runner up for Miss Teen California, so she was beautiful um, as well as a good fighter. She went to a, a party on the weekend. She came in that that Monday ears and said can i talk to you sensei and they said yes and she had someone had put something in her drink and she was sexually assaulted and and i realized that the mistake we were making was teaching them self-defense because if someone drugged me they could have raped me too and uh and so the real key was recognition the real key was awareness and i think we we don't do that we don't want to create paranoia in our children we don't want to but i think we need to create smart children we need to create uh, an environment that, you know, this whole idea of one domestic violence or inappropriate behavior is not just a woman's problem. It is a man's problem. 
and men should not allow other men to do the same thing. And we should stand up as a, as a, as a humanity to do that. And I, I would mm. do something around that. So good. Last question. We'll change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? Wow. You came, you came from, from Atlanta. You've had your journey and I, I would, I'll probably throw it at you this way is that, that, if there was one thing that this journey has taught you that you think would shift trajectory for, for me or for someone else, what is that lesson? That all things are not equal. All things on your list are not weighted equally. And sometimes we can get lost in the minutia of all the things that we need to do. And we have this giant to-do list. But if you look through that list, there's usually one or two things that will be inflection points in your life. Could be personally, could be professionally, um, could be within your marriage, could be within your health. There's usually one or two things. And I would have learned longer ago to identify what those things are and save myself, you know, I'm, I'm putting air quotes around the word heart attack, but save myself around the stress and the anxiety of going crazy and feeling like I am a busy entrepreneur because I'm running around with crazy frenetic energy, getting, you know, 20 things crossed off my list, but really. 19 of them, you know, including the dry cleaning that I picked up, really didn't have that much impact. Boom. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Well, listen, this has been everything I thought it was going to be. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? I think that, I think that there's uh, just some, some final words potentially is this, is that we've all been given um, three gifts. And, and the first is a gift of time. And, and we don't know what, how much time we have, but we have a choice of how we spend the time. Uh, the second is the gift of talent, whether it's talent that we've been gifted with or the, or the gift of developing the talent and acquiring it over time. And we have a choice, again, of how we use that talent to serve and make things better. And the, and the third gift is the treasures, the treasures of relationships, the treasures of life, the treasures of possessions and the treasures of experiences. And, and the thing is that there's people around us. And I realize this through the cancer is that, that have cared for me, that have boosted me up, that have kept me going, that have, have done the surgeries that have done the things. And that, that with those three gifts, if I don't choose right, it's a disrespect to them. It's a disrespect to the people that love you. It's a disrespect to the people that look up to you. It's a disrespect to yourself to not serve at the highest level, to not use your time at, at the best level, to take your talents out there and use them and step into that role, step into that identity and give as much as you possibly can. And then to treasure those relationships and the treasures that you've been given. And I think when we do that, things shift completely. Well, that was a mic drop. Thank you so much, Mel, for everything. We will link up to everything you do in the show notes. And once again, I appreciate you taking a slice out of your life for me. Thank you, my friend. And I thank you for the same, same slice. And, and uh, it's a blessing and an honor to be here. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game 
or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. <laughs>